0: You know there is a system to success right they say goals are for people who want to win once systems are for people who want to win repeatedly over and over again dan clark aka nitro
1: nitro nitro from american gladiators He's a former pro football player, American gladiator, best-selling author, producer of Netflix's *Muscles and Mayhem*,
0: president of Gladiator Events, and the creator of *Gladiator Rock and Fun*.
1: But one athlete who was adored, adored as a TV god of physical challenges and competition, has really come clean with a lot of dirty details about his 20 years of addiction to steroids. He had a heart attack and almost died gladiator a true story of Roy's rage and redemption we want to welcome its author dan clark you knew him and loved him as nitro
0: the hardest part a lot of times is just getting yourself to start if you can learn to get yourself to start Mm -hmm. you don't want to don't feel like it when you're tired and you don't want to yeah that's the key to success is to be able to get yourself to start that's why he's nitro success is simple as just do what you say you're gonna do Let this be a call to you to realize that you need to live today. Mm. That don't be a someday guy or girl. If there's something that you want to do, go out and do it. For me, the most difficult part about growing up was when I was 10 years old and my older brother, who was 12, got into an electrical accident and he died in my arms and really come to terms with that I was the one who got to live mm-hmm. that this life that we live it's a privilege
1: yeah. 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 Nitro eliminates
0: John maybe the reason I am w- driven is because I was living for two a look at nitro ascending the platform for hang tough I was subconsciously trying to prove that I was the one who
1: deserved to live. That it wasn't a mistake.
0: Here's the thing I uncovered in therapy.
1: Dan, you've had a life of, of highs and a life of lows as well. I understand your childhood played a big part of that. What were the most difficult parts about growing up leading up to American Gladiator?
0: So my older brother, he was, you know, he was my hero. He was uh, the better athlete. He was the tall one. He was the strong one. He was the handsome one. And, you know, when he died, I felt um, know, really alone in the world because I was so happy in his shadow. I was comfortable there. And for a lot of my life, my younger life, I was very reactive. And it was really about trying to find where I belonged. For so long, I was under him and he was my guide. So I really had to step out from that experience and find my voice and really come to terms with that I was the one who got to live. Mm. That this life that we live. It's a privilege you know my older brother did not get that privilege and when i really started to take that in i felt this tremendous urge to do something with my life to do something that mattered to matter my biggest fear is to not matter my biggest fear is to be ordinary you know i got this chance to live Mm. he didn't so it's my duty it's my obligation it's my purpose to do something with this time that
1: i have yeah do you think your life would have been a lot different had he not died
0: if my brother hadn't died i don't know how my life would be different Mm. i i don't waste time thinking about that yeah. because it's something I can't change. Right. It's something that in my teens, I pretend like didn't happen. Mm. I didn't want to emotionally deal with it.
1: Okay.
0: Um, I didn't have parents who were like, hey, you lost your brother. You know, It's gonna be hard and, and you know, we're gonna be with you and you're gonna be okay. I didn't have one conversation mm. with my parents you know, saying, hey, Dan, I'm sorry you lost your brother. My mother's Japanese love it or death, but it's not an emotional culture. Hmm. So I had to figure it out by myself. And I figured it out from books. Hmm. Tony Robbins. Okay. Oh, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins at 14 years old, unlimited power. Changed my life. Yeah. I really learned then that you can first have success in your mind that you can visualize, even if you've never been successful yeah w- w- what i wanted to do was i wanted to play sports but uh, the first sport they put me in was boxing and i remember went out there in that first boxing match i must have been like 11 years old or something i went out there at the county fair and there's boxing and the kid like headbutted me and my lips started to bleed and i started to cry <laughs> done then uh it was baseball you want to say let's try baseball First time I go out there, you know, practice, they hit a pop fly to me. I'm like, I got it, I got it, I got it. The ball goes, boom, hits me in the head. I started to cry. So then I said, okay, football. Uh, the reason I chose football was because you had all these pads, but you had this helmet too. And with the helmet, I figured there was a place for me to hide mm-hmm. because I wasn't ready to be seen. Okay. So in football, you have to understand too that in the younger pop Warner, when you're younger, you have to make weight in the league. At a certain age is a certain weight. Well, I was fat. I was overweight. I couldn't make weight. So instead of hiding, I was spotlighted on the sideline with the other fat kids. You know, With my jersey up to, to here, my little belly hanging out, I was highlighted as kids who were too fat to play. Wow. And that really
1: burned. How old were you around then?
0: 11 or 12. Okay, young, yeah. And that, that burned inside of me. And I never had any success in sports until I first had them in my mind. I learned to do creative visualization, visualizing things that hadn't happened yet, but that I wanted to happen. Okay. And I saw myself on the football field, you know, making the play and I made it very sensorially aware. I was sacking the quarterback. I could smell the grass. I could look over and see my parents cheering. And I kept doing this work over and over again, and eventually my body caught up, and I started to, to become a good football
1: player. Okay. And how did you transform your body, or were you, did you stay more on the overweight side as you, as you got older? Uh, high
0: school, I started to grow. Hmm. I started to grow, plus I put in the work. Okay. You know, the thing about transformation is you have to do it you've got to put in the work when nobody cares.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, nobody cared if I practiced. Nobody cared if I worked out. I didn't have uh, parents who were like, hey, you know, Dan, you got to go to the gym. Oh, hey, Dan, you know, go out and run some sprints. Nobody cared. Hmm. If you want to transform, you have to do the work if nobody cares. There's only one person who has to care and that's you. You've got to care. You've got to want it. And the reason I think is different for everybody to want it. Some comes out of pain,
1: Mm.
0: Uh, some comes out of, you know, I want to prove somebody wrong. And then I think some people just have that switch inside, you know, Kobe and Michael. Mm. I look at these guys and, you know, they're that rare breed of talent plus work ethic. Yeah. And, you know, I still struggle. Is that innate or is that a learned behavior? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think to transform, you have to care even when no one else does. Mm. Because if you don't care and if you're not willing to pay the pipe, if you're not willing to put in the work, you're never going to change.
1: Yeah. And yeah, it, it comes from, from within. And it comes from who you're surrounded with as well, right? But it's interesting that it didn't come from your parents because so many people, it comes from their parents when they were young.
0: I, I think most great athletes uh, in my generation and the generations after me, it didn't come from their parents. Mm, interesting. I think it comes from a need to be seen. A need to matter, a need to to realize your potential. Mm -hmm. Now you know with LeBron James and his son, you know Peyton Manning, uh, his father was a great football player. Their sons, I think it's more. But I think when everything is given to you, when you don't have any hurt inside, when you have every desire, everything you want. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to have a burning passion.
1: Mm.
0: Yep. I mean, it's hard because you've got everything. You don't have that. Th- like, look, my biggest fear is being ordinary. Mm. And that drives me. Okay. Everything I do. Yeah. I picked up a new sport recently, and it's pickleball. Yeah. <laughs> I know, laugh yeah, as yeah. you may, you know, but, and, and There's been guys playing racquet sports for years, 20, 25 years. I know I will not have that experience, but what I know I can outdo is I can outwork them. Yeah. And my brain works that way where that guy was better than me. He hit the shot. How did he hit that shot? So I will go on my own for two hours, find out that shot and Mm. practice it over and over and over, Mm. you know, they're is a system to success, right? They say goals are for people who want to win once, systems are for people who want to win repeatedly over and over again. So for me, it's always about systems, it's about a work ethic, it's about going to do things that other people won't
1: to get what you want. Yep, yeah, I really believe in that. Even myself in my personal life, outworking others has been a huge mindset that I've had. Right from the right from university days, and I remember entering university and getting terrible grades the first few years, and just wondering, was everyone just smarter than me? And they were, but it was because they had worked harder than me in previous years. And what I had learned from motivational speeches—we were talking about this earlier—is you really can outwork others. And I started studying twice as much as other people. I would instead of doing eight-hour days, I was doing like sixteen-hour days, and And sleeping a little bit less and and give it a year and i caught up to everyone and after two years i was kind of top of the class which shocked me because i didn't think that was even possible until i started listening to people like yourself and and other motivational speakers and, and icons that i looked up to so you know so back back to football my freshman year in
0: high school i was so bad at football that my high school had two teams their, sophomore, their freshman team had an A team and a B team. I was on the B team, hmm. which was the worst out of the two, and I still wasn't playing.
1: Right.
0: Seven games into the season, I quit the team.
1: Hmm.
0: I said, look, I'm not playing. Nobody cares. Right. My mom doesn't care. So I just went home one day, and I just told my, my mom and my stepfather, I said, I quit the team. They're like, oh, okay. Hmm. And that spring, I met a guy who was a hypnotherapist. He was running space at my dad's office at nighttime. My dad had the office during the day at night, this hypnotherapist was running space there. And he told me, he said that, vividly imagined experiences, your brain can't tell the difference than a real experience. Hmm. And that's how I first got into seeing my success. So I did a few hypnotherapy sessions with him and that's when I started to use visualization, seeing myself be successful on the football field, seeing myself make the tackle. And I went back the sophomore year and played football again. And the only thing I did different was I did the visualization daily as part of my routine. And that year, I went from the previous year, I quit the football team, didn't play, to one year later, ended my sophomore year, I was the most valuable player. Wow. So... I learned at a young age, the power of the mind. Mm. Uh, I really learned to believe that, you know, in life it's an inside game, you know, too often you're out there, you're pointing the finger. I, I didn't make it because that person, I didn't make it because of that coach. The reason you don't make it is because you do not have the mastery and control of your emotions and your mental mind to get yourself to do the stuff you need to do to get the results that you want yep. and that was my breakthrough moment and that was my breakthrough tool mm-hmm. and I used that tool as seeing my success before it happened to, to get a scholarship, be the first person from my high school to get a scholarship to D1 football school, be the first person from my high school to play in the NFL. Wow. To be, and that one tool mm. of seeing your success putting those neurons, you know, firing them and wiring together has been, I think, the one tool that has saved me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's fascinating. And, you know, it's the it's the thing that most people, they don't see, right? They see you excelling and they wonder why. And I think it's it's amazing that you just shared that.
0: Yeah, there's no secrets to success.
1: <laughs> there really are. People okay. always want to find a hack.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what's a hack? The hack to success is go work your ass off. Okay. Go work your ass off. You will succeed. Pick your mountain, mm. whatever that mountain is. And each journey up the mountain is a million steps. And each day you have to take that step. Yeah. Each day you take that step. You look up at the mountain, you say, yeah, that's where I want to go. Hmm. And then each next day you take your step over and over and over again. You know, it's, um, I find that consistency. Consistency mm. is the key. Yep. And consistency doesn't always guarantee success, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're inconsistent, if you don't take those steps, you'll never be successful.
1: Yeah. And that applies to every area of your life, right? Working out, obviously a huge example. Yeah. Success, football, oh. apply to anything, right?
0: Yeah. People, you know, people say to me, oh, it's easy for you. Mm-hmm. You love to work out. You know, you're in great shape. You love it. It's easy for you. I, mean, I laugh. No, I don't love it. I love the results. I don't love the work. Yep. I don't love when my knees hurt, my elbows hurt, my shoulders hurt, my body's tired. I don't like getting up and going <laughs> to the gym. I don't like it. It's not fun, but I love the results. Yeah. And I've learned to put the effort in. I've learned to do things when I'm tired, when I don't feel like it, when I don't want to. When you can learn to do things when you don't want to, when you don't feel like it, when you're tired, when you can learn to push yourself to do them, that's when the world opens up to you. That's when success knocks at your door. But if you can't, you'll never succeed Hmm. because I guarantee you there is some guy out there Hmm. who's working when he's tired, who's working when he doesn't feel like it, who's working when he doesn't want to. And he's gonna outwork you Mm -hmm. he's gonna have the success that you want see people say they want success but they're not willing
1: to do the work to have the success yeah every morning consistently right what advice would you give yourself and do you think you would have listened to it
0: the advice i would give to my 20 year old self would be to work Hmm. work harder You know, even when it feels like the work isn't mattering, it will matter. Mm. You know, delayed does not mean denied. Mm. I know, young man, that you want things. Keep putting the work in. It's all about the work. Have faith and trust that the seeds that you plant today will grow into the tree that you want it to be. Hmm. I know the reason I didn't have a long football career. It was because I didn't do enough work. Hmm. I had chances when I was at San Jose State to stay the summer at San Jose, work out, get a job up there and continue to train in a very structured and secluded environment. But I chose to go back to Southern California where the beach was, where my dad was, where the drugs were, where the party was. So by choosing to do that and not being disciplined enough, not being focused enough, I did not do enough work. So I would tell my 20 year old self, do the work now, work when you're tired, work when you're exhausted, work when you don't see results, mm. but it's all like money in the bank, mm. and that interest of the work will compound and you'll get what you want.
1: Yeah, and be patient,
0: right? I don't know if you need to be patient. Okay. Um, I don't think patience matters. Mm. Like it that. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just about doing the work, whether you're patient or impatient. The work is the work. Yeah. It doesn't so it'll reflect. Com-
1: it'll compound. You have to wait for it. Yeah, when but you it has,
0: if you're patient or not patient, mm. it doesn't matter. Yeah. You still have to do the work. Interesting. So, yeah. someone who does the work who's impatient is going to get the same results as someone who does the work who's patient. Yeah. If they do the same amount of work. Yeah. Impatience or patience isn't, to me, isn't relevant.
1: Mm. Yeah, good to know.
0: It, it's just. Mm. You know, it's, it's just, there is no secret. You know, everyone, like I said, everyone's looking for a secret. I would have told myself that. Everyone's looking for a secret, for a shortcut. There are no secrets. Yeah. Just wake up every day and you do the damn work. Mm. And it's going to suck. Mm. You're not going to like it some days. But when you can learn to love the feeling of doing the work as much as you hate doing the work. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you can learn to love that feeling of accomplishment after doing the work, as much as sometimes you hate doing the work. Yeah. If you can connect those, that allows you to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell I tell my twelve year old all the time. I said, you know, just start. Just start. I, I, it, we get into these. You know, he, he pushes back against mm-hmm. me. Now, he's a great soccer player. He pushes back. Oh, you know, I said, hey, you know, you need to work on your dorms. Get on the treadmill. And we'll have a you know twenty minutes of poutying this and that before he goes and does it. And I just say, you could have already been done.
1: Mm,
0: yeah. You've already been done. I said the hardest part a lot of times is just getting yourself to start. And if you can learn to get yourself to start mm. when you don't want to don't feel like it, when you're tired, when you don't want to. Yeah. That's the key to success is to be able to get yourself to start, right? Yeah. You gotta get to the gym. The hard part right. is not to work out sometimes. The hard part is saying no to the girlfriend. Yep. The hard part is turning off the video game. The hard part is turning off the football game. The hard part is saying no to your friends who want to go to the beach Mm. so you can go do the work that you need to do. But once you get there and you're doing the work, that's usually not the hard part.
1: Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. People ask all the time, like, what's the secret to motivation? And I don't think there's a secret. Like you're saying, there's no secrets. But getting started is such a key because it motivates you. You're not motivated by... Uh, like after the workout, you're motivated by getting started, doing five minutes and you can just keep keep going. That's the hard part.
0: I think the secret to motivation is not to wait for motivation.
1: Yeah. Not to wait to feel motivated. Hmm.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because if you wait for motivation, motivation may never come. You may never feel like it.
1: Hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you, I find that once you do it and you get that feeling of self-esteem mm-hmm. you know you're proud of yourself mm. you feel good about yourself for doing it mm. you see some result then that's where the motivation comes for i think people get lost when they're waiting to feel motivated i think people get lost when they're like well if i'm f- if it's my purpose and i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing i'm gonna want to feel like doing it all the time you know i talk to a lot of younger guys and girls they say well it must not be my purpose because i don't feel like it i'm supposed to love it all the time no Hmm. even if it's your purpose there's going to be times that you're going to have to grind Hmm. there's going to be after times when you're going to want to do something else so many times where you have to have enough discipline to go and do it not discipline where oh i'm going to be so hard on myself Hmm. But actually, it's the contrary, where discipline, where you love and care about yourself enough to follow through. If you can just do one thing, right? If you could just do what you say you're going to do. If you can do that one simple thing, right, Joel? Do what you say you're going to do. You're going to be
1: 100% better. Mm -hmm. I think most people get stuck there.
0: Yeah, you just, I, I, you know, this week what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up every morning at you know six thirty. I'm going to work out. You know what I'm going to do this week? I'm going to start to you know eat better. Mm. Uh, you know just do this after after work after school every day after work. I'm going to make you know ten phone calls. Mm. Success is simple as just do what you say you're going to do, mm. right? If you do that, you're going to be one hundred percent more successful. But how many times do you say
1: you're going to do things that you don't do them? Yeah. I want to come back to your childhood shortly. Tell us about. I knew you would. Yeah, there's there's a few more things I want to unpack. Yeah, bastard. (laughs) Tell us about uh, American Gladiator. How did you get in, and was your experience great or otherwise?
0: American Gladiators. Here we go. So, uh, after football, I moved to Hollywood to have this glorious glorious job on a television series called first in Ten on hbo as a football series with oj simpson and the glorious job was to be an extra
1: hmm.
0: i didn't know it was a sh- job hmm. to me it was a chance to be on tv and a chance to come to hollywood so i took that chance you know after i got cut from the rams and uh, moved to Hollywood with, you know, a couple thousand dollars in the bank with the idea I was gonna be an extra
1: mm.
0: on a TV show. And I was doing extra work, trying to find my way in Hollywood, and there was this audition. Okay. And I had no acting experience, so I said, maybe that's something I could do, maybe that's a place I fit in. Mm-hmm. So I went to this audition, and they had all these actors trying to be athletes. Mm. I was an athlete, there you go. Yeah. so it was easy for me. They were, you know, you're running through tires and doing all this stuff, but we had no idea what the show was. There wasn't even a name. Yeah. And uh, after the audition was over, I did the athletic part pretty well. After the audition was over, the producers asked me to stay, and they said, uh, we want you to pick a character. There's three characters. And we want you to, to come on camera and answer questions as that character so there was Malibu you know like the cool surfer dude there was Gemini who had split personality and actually my character's name was Evander who was uh, cocky explosive arrogant and I, I took to that uh, so I went on camera after the, at this audition and they asked me a couple questions they said you know what's your favorite movie and I was like Terminator <laughs> in that same voice Nice. yeah <laughs> and then they said uh, um, what's your favorite line? I was like, "I'll be back." <laughs> then they asked me, uh, "What do you eat for dinner?" And I looked at the camera and I snarled, "Raw meat!" <laughs> like this, and the woman's cut, 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 <laughs> cut. That's enough. Thank you. You can go home. And I remember I'm, I'm walking to the car, going, "Loser!" You know, raw meat. You know, <laughs> where did that come from? Yeah. So true. a couple months go by, and I don't hear anything and now i'm at the end of my rope Mm. i have a two-year-old son Mm. i have child support due every month uh i had to borrow money to pay the month before and i had actually packed my car up i was leaving town uh to go home and and get a job and back home that was my biggest fear right right going to put a suit on and working behind a desk okay so as i'm driving leaving hollywood I remember seeing the Hollywood sign, and when I came to Hollywood eight months before, I remember stopping at the Hollywood sign, getting out of my car, and going, ah, "Hollywood, yeah. here I come!" You know, King Kong. I'm taking over Hollywood. Eight months later, I drive by that sign and I flip the sign off. You know, "F you, <laughs> Hollywood!" You know, and I was mad, and I drove drove off. Yeah. And as I'm driving down the freeway. My pager goes off. You know, back then we had this right. mode of communication called a little pager. Bzz, bzz, bzz. It goes off, and I throw it across the, the car, and it keeps buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. And you know, finally, I you know, I reach in the car in the freeway and I grab it, and I look, and it's my my agent. Okay, so I pull off the highway, and um, I go to a payphone. I call him back up, and he said, "Hey, um, you, you've got this uh, callback. It's like my first callback." And he said, uh, "It's for that one show." you know, looking for athletes. So I said, no, 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 I'm done. I said, I'm done. I said, my car's packed. I'm going home. Yeah. I'm leaving. He says, no, 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 no. You, you, you get your first call back and you're leaving? And I said, yeah, I just, I got to support my son. And he said, look, it's on the Universal Studios lot.
1: Hmm.
0: And I hadn't been on the lot. And he goes, I, I really think it's for real. And then he said, you know what else? He said, they really love that raw meat line. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. So then I go back and I go to this uh, uh audition on Universal Studios. And they still didn't know what the show American Gladiators was. It was mm-hmm. just a bunch of, you know, buff people doing these different games and exercises and right. there's a few of us left and I knew I was getting close to getting the job. Then they said, "Okay, the last test of the day is Breakthrough and Conquer where They gave someone a football on the concrete, and they had to run the football by you. The people who were testing the games were these college kids from uh, the Cal State Northridge. And I don't think they had any idea what they're up against. Mm. So they put this kid across from me. He must have been 150 pounds soaking wet. They put him across from me, and they say, hey, you, you've got to run the football by that guy. And I'm 240 pounds. You know, I've got steam up, coming out of my ears. know, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, this guy is standing between me and going home. Hmm. This guy is standing between me and my dream. So that guy comes running at me. And I got down in my football stance. And he comes. I said, bam. I pick him up. Bam. Slam him onto the concrete. His head hits the concrete. I hear this crack. The ball goes flying and the guy's out cold. Okay. <laughs> And all I hear is, somebody call the paramedics. Somebody call the paramedics. And people are rushing around. Yeah. And I feel, I feel bad. And a producer calls me over. Uh, and I said, look, sir, I'm really, really sorry. I, I kind of lost control. You know, I didn't mean to hit him that hard. Right. And he studies me for a second. And he says, I want you to keep losing control. Oh, well. I'm like, what? Okay. He says, you got the job, kid. And that was, you know, the beginning of American Gladiators. That was the beginning of Nitro.
1: Hmm. Wow! <laughs> so they actually wanted you to just take people out onto concrete. But it makes a lot of sense when you when you see the show. And you know, I, I watched uh, Muscles and Mayhem, and and if, if anyone listening hasn't watched it yet, definitely recommend uh, watching it because there's tons of stories about how the show got started, the early years. We don't have enough time to unpack all of it, um, but. There's some, there's some interesting stories there where people were getting injured, especially in those first few years, right? Uh, doing things over concrete, doing things dangerously, because you guys were the test subjects, right?
0: We were like the guinea pigs. <laughs> we were the human guinea pigs in um, this mad scientist little rat lab. It was like Running Man. Right. Okay. And uh, a lot of the games they had not actually tried with people, mm-hmm. and they adjusted as we, as we went along. And, you know, the whole idea of the Muscles of man on Netflix, which you know, came out as a number one show in America, number six globally. And, you know, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that even if nobody else cares, you have to care. The way that show came about was 10 years earlier, I wrote a book called Gladiator, a true story of Roy's raids, redemption. And nobody was asking for that book. Mm. Nobody cared. But, but I cared. I wanted to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went and wrote the book proposal, you know, 70 pages, a couple sample chapters. And we went and we pitched it everywhere. My agent did and and nobody bought it. Okay. Then about a year later, when the revamp of American Gliders and NBC came out, all of a sudden that idea that nobody wanted, that nobody cared about, all of a sudden that was a great idea. Mm -hmm. We've got to do this book because it was with the platform. So sometimes the timing just isn't right. Yeah. But if you don't do the work, if you don't put yourself in that position hmm. to succeed, when they come knocking on the door, you're gonna answer it empty handed. Right. And that same book that I sold became the intellectual property that I sold to Netflix when I sold them the series Muscles and Mayhem And all the stories I told to sell the show to the Netflix executives was the stories from the book. It's because I did that work. Hmm. It's because I was prepared that I sold the show to Netflix and it was the number one show. And and for me, it was gratifying to to be on the other side. Most of my life, I've always been the talent. Whether I'm talented or not, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been the talent, and it was interesting to now be the producer. Mm, yeah. Where instead of an agent or manager speaking for me to the executives, I'm in the room speaking for myself, my ideas, my thoughts, my beliefs to them directly. So it was um, it was fun. It was interesting, and I'm always looking how to expand what I know and who I am and what I can do and what I can be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's awesome, and you know, you get lucky in life, but you only get lucky in life if you try things. You can't get lucky if you don't even give it a shot, right? So great timing with the book, and um, the title of your book, Gladiator, A True Story of Roids, Rage, and Redemption, um, obviously has some some big words in there, so my question Those on... all the big words I know. I <laughs> know, I mean, you know, it's not what I would have thought you would have put it after the word Gladiator, but it really, it really caught my eye, and, and I opened it up. For that a long time ago for that reason as well. So, Gladiator: A True Story of Roy's Rage Redemption. The whole
0: idea was that it would be the idea of a one person's personal journey, more than it would be an expose about a TV show. Yep. And the book for me was, you know, quite cathartic. Cathartic. First, um, to have the courage to write it, not in the sense so much of revealing who I am. But the courage to write it when I was always told that writing a book was for smart people. That was my belief. You know, it's for smart yep. people. Smart so. people write books, you know, the guys and you know, with the, the glasses and the smoking pipe, and you know, those are the guys, the professors, those are the guys who write books. Yep. Guys like you, you know, who are athletes who speak with their fists in their body. You're you're not supposed to write a book. So for me, I, I was proud of myself to have the courage to go do that and it wasn't easy. So that was one part of the journey. Then the second part of the journey was to take a cathartic journey and make it be more about, oh, I used to wear spandex on TV. What can I tell about the human condition that may connect with another person who is going or in similar circumstances? So again, I was this little kid who had lost his older brother, who had died in his arms, and I was trying to find my place in the world. And I got good at sports. So that was where sports were the first place, you know, where I learned to feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. When I was in 10th grade, the first time a coach, you know, slapped me on the back and he said, Clark, good job. That was the first compliment. I'd ever had 10th grade. And that when he did that, man, I just like whoosh, my chest blew up, my my body blew up, and I just felt this light on me. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted to keep feeling that light. Yep. I knew I want I wanted to do that over and over again. So that was one of the reasons that really pushed me to excel because I was, you know, looking back, I could see I was in tremendous search of validation and purpose, right? I didn't get the validation from my father, so I got it from the crowd. I got it from the coach. And I worked for that applause. I worked for that adulation. And I always felt the more the crowd cheered for me, the more I was loved. And that's where the mistake uh, I think a lot of people make is that they mistake the applause and adulation mm-hmm. for love, right? Because okay. that applause and adulation filled a lot of empty places yep. inside of me—places from losing a brother, not dealing with the places from having a dad who was who drank and who was abusive—you know—places from having a wonderful mother but who was not—you know—who wasn't and couldn't express her emotions—you know—places eventually where you know my dad became a you know an addict and uh, died of an overdose. So. When they were cheering for me, I felt full Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I got everything I wanted. You know, I had uh, on American gladiators, you know, I had money. I had a reasonable amount of fame, success, um, cars, you know, uh, women, if that's, you know, what I wanted. And I found that I was, you know, still unhappy. I found that you know I was partying a lot, you know, drinking drugs, Hollywood, and then I started to wake up in the mornings after a long night of partying. You know, on the ground, spit dribbling out of my mouth, and I, w- I was weeping. And I was like, "This doesn't make sense." I had more than I ever thought I would have, hmm. and yet it feels like nothing. Hmm. And that happened two or three times where I just woke up on the floor, you know, high out of my mind the next morning, you know, spit dribbling out of my mouth, just crying. And then one day in that time period, I remember I was just driving around Hollywood and I just started to weep for no reason at all. And I just said, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I've got everything, but it's not feeling something's off. So that's when I raised my hand and I said, I need to get help. You know, I I need to speak to somebody to, you know, fix whatever isn't right inside. And it was a hard thing to do, you know, as a big, strong, you know, kind of a muscular guy, Mm. uh, a masculine guy, a jock to say, hey, this shit is bigger than me, right? I don't understand it. I can't figure out, I can't fix it. I have to go get some help. Mm. And, you know, I, I, got, I started therapy, and the funny thing is I started with there's a woman I went to see. I felt it was safer, you know, because to express my emotions in front of a man at that time, you know, 25, 26 years old, I felt so weak, mm, Okay. you know, because I was always taught that, you know, men do not express emotion, men do not cry. Um, I got that notion in my mind. So my parents were divorced when I was five years old. And my father got custody of my older brother and I. And my mom got custody of my sister. And so my father took me and my brother away from my mother uh, to go live in a different state. And I remember when we're getting on the airplane and I'm looking out the tarmac and I can see my mom crying and waving to me and I'm just crying. You know, because they're taking me from my mom, I'm I'm inconsolable. There's just the tears are just pouring out of my eyes. I'm, mom, mom, mom. And there was a guy behind me, and he said, you know, look, look. He said, "Um, you know, big boys don't cry. Hmm. And he said, flex your muscle. And I'm five. I flex your muscles. So I'm like, why Why do you flex your muscles? So I look, and I go, I flex, and this little tiny butt of a muscle pops up. And he goes, you got a muscle. Hmm. And he says, you're a big boy and big boys don't cry wow. i'm five years old and i just kind of wipe my tears and <laughs> pull back my sniffles okay. and i remembered that lesson that big boys don't cry so even when my brother died when i was 10 he was 12 i didn't cry wow. because big boys don't cry so for me to go in front of a a, a man hmm. and say i can't handle my shit yeah. and you know break down emotionally or do whatever it took i, I couldn't do it so i went and saw hmm. A female therapist and I walked in the therapist and um, I'm sitting with the therapist and I just tell her things I've never told anybody. You know, there was a lot of shame about stuff um, and I remember I just wept. Came back in the second time, just wept, third time wept and then I said, okay, I'm done, I'm healed. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was good, yeah. you know, um, but then I realized that it it was a gradual, you know, process and You know, I've been in, you know, therapy off and on, you know, my entire life, including now. Yeah. And um, Hmm. I think, you know, I think that's one of the things that that saved me. Hmm. But what I think I really learned through the process of that was I've learned that big boys don't cry, Hmm. but men do.
1: Okay. like that.
0: And that's the difference. Hmm. To be a man today... You know, it's a lot more challenging. Hmm. You know, because our the female partner now wants you not only to be strong, but not too strong. To be firm, but not to be bossy and controlling. Hmm. To be a, a good dad and guide the kid, but not too hard on him.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and
0: and not only do you have to go, you know, make a living and hold up, you know, the household or your end of the part, hmm. but you also now i have to come home and take care of the kid when you get home from work you yeah. know and then you have to instead of just being you know the partner you know a romantic partner you have to be the best friend hmm. you have to be emotionally available and you have to listen so you know being a man in t- today's society i think is you know it's it's a lot more difficult than it used to be okay yeah right because we're 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 Men, we're providers, we're leaders, but we're also best friends to our partners. Mm. You know, we're confidence and, and, and,
1: uh, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And so therapy sounds like it, you know, was a great move for you, especially with so many things going on in your life that were, uh, in my opinion, quite, quite. Wild. Here, here, here's
0: the thing I yeah. uncovered
1: in therapy mm. therapy
0: was a chance to lift up the hood of the car Mm. and see what makes it run. Yep. And. In therapy. I think the biggest thing I understood. Was that. It was okay that I was the one who lived. Mm. Instead of my brother. Right. And it's um, called survivor's guilt Mm. because my brother was the bigger, stronger, faster, the better one. And when he died, I was 10, my brother was 12. um, I remember just, you know, crying and and punching my fists against the wall and just saying, you know, God, take me. Mm. Take me, not him. Yeah. Because I thought he was the one who deserved to live. Yeah. So understanding that maybe the reason I'm driven is because I was living for two. Mm. I was subconsciously trying to prove that I was the one deserve to live or that it was okay to live that it wasn't a mistake. Yeah, and I figured if I could be great. That's something If I could be seen if I could Mm. matter if I could do amazing things, then that made it okay. That I was the one who survived. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely something especially without having great parents in your life. I mean therapy can be so so powerful at any age. And so yeah, I'm so happy that you, you started that. You, you talk openly about steroids in, in the documentary, also in your book. Most people don't. Uh, why why do you think that is?
0: I th- think people don't talk openly about steroids because they're afraid that people will think they didn't earn what they have. Um. When I first started steroids, I was 18 years old, 1982. At that time, when you said the word steroid, people were like, what, what is that? It wasn't like it was in the zeitgeist, what everyone knew what it's about. Oh, you're juicing, you know. It was, mm. uh, so I got injured as a freshman in college playing football. And in a snap of a finger, I saw my dream disappear. And I was working out, trying to get back on, uh, back in shape, you know, back on the field, and I, I was falling behind. Mm. And I was in the gym one day, at a regular gym, and I saw a guy working out, and he, lo- he was huge, and he looked great, and I just walked up to that guy because I'm always curious. I, I'm curious. I said, God, man, you look great. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Same thing in life today. God, you're successful. You run a good business. What do you do? Yeah. Saw you today. First thing I said, hey, you run this great <laughs> business. What do you do? How'd you get it? I'm very curious. I think a curious mind is a successful mind. So I walked to this guy and I said, what do you do? And he said, uh, well, I take steroids. 1982. i 17 years old. I said, what's that? And he said, it's this hormone you take. I get them from a doctor. You know, they may help you recover faster and you get bigger and stronger. And I said, well, that sounds great. You know, sign me up. <laughs> Who doesn't want to get bigger, stronger, fat all that stuff. And so when I was 17, I went to one of the first steroid prescribing doctors in America, Dr. Kerr out here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I went to him at 17. He said, I'm not going to give you drugs. You have to be 18. So I waited till my 18th birthday. My dad gave me $172. And I went on my 18th birthday to see Dr. Kerr in Los Angeles. And I walked in and he said, hey, look, I'm going to prescribe you testosterone sipinate, along with uh, two Dianabol, 10 milligrams of Dianabol, uh, which is a oral steroid. Okay. And I said, great. And he said, look, you'll start to get stronger. Your body's going to recover faster. You're going to be able to train more, train harder. And I said, okay, great. And I said, "Uh, are there any side effects? And he said, yeah, you know, some, Mm. you know, not nothing. And I said, okay, but when do I go off? Mm. He says, you don't. He goes, I have some pro football players on these and, um, you know, you just stay on them and we keep adjusting. So for me to talk openly about it, when I first took steroids they weren't illegal
1: right
0: nobody knew about them Mm. this was a thing i was getting from a doctor and even when i was playing football at san jose state and on they still weren't illegal
1: right
0: okay there wasn't any you Mm. know thing saying this there wasn't any paperwork or any laws saying this is cheating And now you ask me if there would have been you know laws rules you know, if you take steroids and you cheat, I don't know if I would have. I'm not saying I wouldn't have. I don't know if I would have. I yeah. know in my life I'm not a cheater. If we're playing cards, I'm not going to cheat. If we're playing, you know, tennis, if we're playing football, I'm not going to cheat. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the rules and the setup when right. I started taking them. And then when we are on American Gladiators, they, they started to test us. Hmm. You know, and then that was a, you know, whole different thing where they said hey it's not illegal to take them but advertisers are putting pressure on us because WWE wrestling Hulk Hogan and these guys they just had this big expose where these guys were all on steroids and then advertisers don't want people on steroids hmm. so they said we're going to test you okay. to please the advertisers and I was you know taking testosterone then and I was nervous I said I could lose my job over this but what was interesting? They called us in about, you know, a month later, and they just said to us, "Hey, um, we're going to test you guys." And I thought they're testing us that day, hmm. and I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, I'm going to get busted. Yeah, yeah. But they said to us, "Hey, we're going to test you in six weeks from now." Wow. And that just gave me the idea is that they gave us time to pass because right. in the beginning of the show we were their product. Right. Right. So they wanted us to pass. And yeah. then the funny thing was, this is just business. Mm-hmm. They never announced who tested positive. Okay. All they announced was we tested.
1: Yeah, yeah. The gladiators. It looks better.
0: Yeah, we right. tested them.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's a different time, right? Um, and you didn't know about the side effects either. So, what what's the scariest part of uh, the side effect that you know you know now? Hmm. Side effects of steroids.
0: I think when you initially take them, they give you a capacity to work out so much harder because you recover so much faster. Then you have these huge muscles where your tendons and ligaments haven't quite caught up. So when you put all that size into movement, you tend to start to tear muscles, Ligaments and tendons because they're not strong enough. I tore my hamstring in college Because I'd built these legs that could squat 500 pounds, but they still didn't have the strength yet to it happened too quickly So I think injuries happen uh, more quickly Uh, Steroids also Thicken your blood which can lead to heart attacks and blood clots Um, Steroids can also undermine your reproductive ability. Mm. Um, I think the general thing about steroids is if you're competing in a sport where it's illegal, Mm. it's cheating. Right. And I don't know if you've ever won something where you cheated Mm. and how that feels.
1: Right, kind of guilty.
0: Yeah, you don't, if you cheat to win, you don't enjoy the win,
1: yeah,
0: right, even if it's a cards, you know, with your friends, if you're cheating, mm. you know it just does not feel as good to win, and now that there's a governing body of drugs that says steroids is cheating. yeah, I can't imagine that it feels great to win,
1: yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you've witnessed the popularity of steroids back in the eighties, the nineties. There's other drugs today that are are getting popular. Ozempic is one of them for weight loss. Do you see similarities between that and steroids?
0: I don't know if I see similarities. I just know if you're taking something to get a result, what happens when you stop taking it? And if you're 20 or 30 years old and you're taking Ozempic to help you lose weight, and that is the reason you're losing the weight. What happens when you're off of it? Mm. That's the question. Now, the right question should be is, is there a way for me to get those same results without taking the ozempic? You know, and like, people make losing weight and being at a healthy body weight seems so difficult. Mm. But it's really. Simple. You know, you take in less than you burn, mm-hmm. right? It's an in, intake output. If you're taking in less calories than you're burning, you're going to lose weight. Mm-hmm. What we lack is the self discipline to go and do it, mm-hmm. right? And our brains are hardwired to do things that we enjoy. Hmm. When you eat a food, a certain food, we've been hardwired to get a dopamine hit. Oh good, you eat, dopamine feels good. Why, do we, why did we get that dopamine hit? Because so we could go out and hunt again, our ancestors. If food didn't set off a dopamine surge, we wouldn't go hunt. Hmm. We would sit there and die and starve. So they had to make it feel good. So we're hardwired when we get that food to, to get a dopamine hit. Yep. Now we don't have to go hunt for our food. It's there in boxes and stacks and truckloads. And people haven't figured out that, oh, it's going to feel good when I'm eating. Hmm. Oh, I should stop. It's, so it's bigger than just saying I'm not going to do that. Everything to me comes down to plans. Okay. Right? You have to have a system right you have to have a plan and the three most important things of a plan is when where and for how long hmm. right so i'm going to eat this when for breakfast mm-hmm. i'm going to eat it where at my house and then it's how long am i going to follow this process hmm. right to get the result that i want you know for me i look at food as a as sustenance right and i'm always aware of calories in Calories out and I can just tell like a thermostat. Oh You know, I'm my my pants are getting a little bit tight in the waist, right? Oh, okay. I have to stop as many calories in That go out.
1: Hmm. So calories and calories out is big for you and and when it comes to, to gaining muscle, so you can be fit without enhancements, but you can be a lot more fit if you take enhancements testosterone you know, it's popular these days, um, HGH supplements, things like that. Uh, do you recommend people to, to take those kind of boosters and to add those to their their plans?
0: I think the question you have to ask yourself before you take steroids or any type of enhancement is you have to ask yourself a basic question is why am I doing it? Hmm. You know, and I think a lot of people are doing it to gain significance, to gain validation, hmm to gain, uh, importance. And if you're clear on why you're doing it, I think, and you really ask that question and you really sit with it as a person, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I don't feel like I'm enough. Mm-hmm. I doing this because I got bullied. I'm doing this because I want to look better than the guy next to me in my office. Right, then you have to say, why? Hmm. Why don't I look better than that guy? Hmm. Right, there's a deeper psychological game. I think you have to play with yourself by asking yourself, why, why, why? So you can get to the core of what you're lacking as a human hmm. to make you want to do that. Right. You know, for me, you know, I still take testosterone now, I, I do it with a TRT doctor uh, in Studio City uh, over at Novus. I do my blood work every three months. I take enough so my testosterone is in the optimal level, which is 900. I don't go over where the side effects are. And my choice is that I want to have the optimal energy, the optimal strength, the optimal vitality for someone who's younger than I am at my age. Hmm. And I'm very, very clear. I like being lean. I like having a little musculature to me. And I do it for those reasons.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And as long as you can manage, because, you know, back with steroids, there was all those negative side effects that, had you known that, you probably wouldn't have maybe gone quite down that path, would you say? Would you say? Or you still would have if you would have known all those If
0: I would have known the side effects of steroids back when I was a young man, would I still have taken them. Yeah, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's so hard That's to go I back say. at that yeah. time. You know, I had such a a need to be seen. I had such a need to recover and yeah. and get a scholarship to, to school. Um, and that to me was the path to recovery. So I don't know. I know the right answer say, oh mm-hmm. my God, no, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I I I don't know. You no, know? I think honest answer. Yeah, to Pretty go sure. back in history yeah. and put myself in that place emotionally. I I don't know what I what I would
1: have done. Yeah, that's an honest answer. No. Yeah. You had a heart attack and your, your life changed forever. What are the odds you're still here today and, and what did you learn from that?
0: When I had the heart attack, you know, the The biggest lesson you learn, and you learn it in an instant, is that things that you thought were important before, immediately become unimportant. Before the heart attack, you know, I was so concerned about the plaques on my wall, the two German cars in the driveway, you know, what people were saying about me, the size of my home. Um, But when I was in the hospital, when I didn't know if I was gonna live or die, all those things were unimportant Hmm. i only cared about two things number one was i wanted the people i loved to know that i loved them and i wanted the people i loved close to me
1: Hmm. nothing that's it
0: nothing else mattered and taking that lesson after the heart attack i rebuilt my life Understanding when the time that I thought I wasn't going to be here, what I wanted, and I started to really fortify hmm. time into family and to friends and yep. the people I loved to put them in my circle, to include them, hmm. to make them part of the achieving, part of the process. Yeah. And it always separated them. Yeah. And, um, I also realized with the heart attack, because I was 49 years old, I was, you know, healthy, I was fit, I was competing in CrossFit, there were no signs, I wasn't sickly. I also learned a very, very important lesson which I remind myself every day, and that's, I learned that time's not guaranteed, mm-hmm. right? I don't yeah. think at a younger age, you believe, you know, time is guaranteed. right? But when all of a sudden you face your mortality, you realize that time's not. That each day is a gift. Mm. And when you realize that, you start to live differently. Mm. You know, you start to take the word someday out of your vocabulary, Yeah. Yeah. right? Like someday I'm gonna go to Bora Bora. Even when I was married, when I was younger, you know, I said, oh yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't have enough money right now, I'll go to Bora Bora later, it right. you know, was on my <laughs> list. I had all these things I was gonna do someday. And after a heart attack, I said, you know what, I'm no longer gonna use the word someday. Hmm. If someone asked me something, I'm gonna say yes, no, or I'm gonna do that in a few years from now and I start planning for it. Interesting. The year, right, the year after, two years after my heart attack, I went to Bora Bora. I don't want to go out there all my life and I just yeah. said, <laughs> There's never going to be a perfect time. So I just got my girlfriend and we just went. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. My, my, my dad died at uh, 58 years old of a, of a drug overdose. Okay. And that was another thing where I said, someday I'm going to have these conversations with my father, mm. you know, to have those hard conversations that you don't want to about, you know, how I felt about him being an addict, how I felt about him never once saying anything about my older brother dying, mm. having a conversation once, once, how I was angry at him for never apologizing for anything Yeah, through all the behavior of, you know, uh, an addicted person who was an alcoholic to cocaine to Opioids, and I was going to have that conversation with him someday. And when he died at fifty-eight, I was left holding those conversations. Then, mm. then when I had the heart attack, like I said, it made me realize, mm-hmm. you know, time is not guaranteed. Time is limited. Have those conversations. You know, you listening to this now. Let this be a call to you, to realize that you need to live today. Mm that don't be a someday guy or girl. If there's something that you wanna do, go out and do it. Go out and do it. If you can't do it today, plan for it. Plan for it yeah. yeah, you know, I wanna to go to Africa. Okay, gosh, I don't have the money. Okay, I can go to Africa. Yes, I'm gonna do it in three years from now. It's gonna take $14,000. I'm gonna save $250 a month for this many months till I earn that money and I'm gonna go. Yeah. Put your some days into actionable plans mm. so you have a destination, you're going there. Because you know, you're know you not promised. But if I live to be the average what an American is male, I think it's 74 years old, that's 15 years.
1: No kidding, yeah. But
0: you put someone who's had a heart attack and that takes like six years off their lifespan. Right. So, you know, according to statistics, which I know they're wrong and I will prove them wrong, I've got like eight more years to live. Yeah. It's bullshit. (laughs) I will defy that. I know I I live my life in such a way where that will not happen. Yeah. But even if I've got 15 years, Mm -hmm. that's 15 summers.
1: Yeah. No kidding.
0: That's 15 Thanksgivings with my family. That's 15 Christmases. When you start to think of things that way, you know, you're like, wow. I've got fifteen of these left, and you know, look, I'm hoping it's going to be fifty. But even if I have, you know, fifty more, I go to the beach maybe you know once a summer. Yeah, I'm going to see the beach fifty more times. Well, that's not a lot of times. Yeah, if I live to be, you know, a hundred and ten.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah.
0: yeah. So to be acutely aware of time, because if you have the gift and the privilege of being here, be something. Yeah. Do something. My brother didn't get that gift. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Right I didn't pass 58.
0: Yeah, my brother didn't get that gift. He's he died at 12 You know, I got that gift. Yeah, and each day I go out and I try to make the most of that gift Yeah,
1: you know? yeah, yeah, uh, every day is precious um, Don't don't say someday right is mean, such a powerful lesson
0: mm. Another thing about the heart attack too is I after the heart attack, you know, being a guy who was in great shape and everything, hmm. the first night in the hospital, you know, I was just depressed. Hmm. And I kept saying, you know, why me, why me? You know, I did, every, I was ate healthy, I worked out, I trained like a beast, I did everything right. Yes, I took steroids okay. when I was younger, you know. Were you off them at that point? Yes. Or, yeah, yeah, I was off of them. And, you know, the doctor, I asked the doctor, could and he said, No, he said, um, you have a family history. Mm. And I was like, oh. But when I was laying in the hospital, I was depressed. And, you know, I told myself, you know, that um, I wasn't going to be one of those guys laying in the hospital, you know, feeling sorry for himself, you know. But um, sometimes in life, the despair you feel is too much to humanly handle. Mm and it expresses itself the grief through tears Hmm. so i was laying in the hospital and i was just weeping and i wept and wept until there were no more tears Hmm. and again it was that thought of why me why me but the end of the tears you know there was this new thought that came into Hmm. my mind and that thought was instead of why me i started to ask myself a better question Instead of why me, I changed that question to, despite the circumstances, what can I be? Hmm. So when we start to change from I'm a victim, why me? And we ask ourselves a better question of what can I be given the circumstances, hmm. then our mind finds new answers. Well, yeah. what can I be? Oh, I can be an example of how someone comes back from a heart attack and, and you know does amazing things. You know, I can be someone who can be a leader for other people who've gone through this. I can be someone, you know, what can I be? I can be someone who can show people how to find gratification after something traumatic that happens. So, you know, when I changed that question, Mm -hmm. you know, from why me to what can I be, it opened up a whole new world for me. And, you know, those things I still live today and you know i i'd never had a tattoo and i was you know 49 years old never had a tattoo because i always felt like i didn't want anything permanently on my body because we are you know fickle okay you know you know in college it was san jose state spartans when i was at the rams it was you know the rams gladiators you know (laughs) i had an american gladiator tattoo and uh After the heart attack, I wore my hospital admission bracelet, that little plastic bracelet they give you with all your uh, statistics, you know, date of birth, age, weight. I wore it for like eight months as a reminder to be grateful. Hmm. And then eight months in, I'm standing in my kitchen, and all of a sudden, I'm standing there, and I look at it, and it just pop, burst off my arm and like falls to the ground. Okay. And again, you know, I started to weep. I didn't know why. Hmm. And that night, I went to sleep and I had a dream. And in that dream, I'm 10 years old and I'm, Jap- I'm half Japanese, which I am. And I'm by this uh, creek and there's all these cherry blossoms. You know, I'm in Japan and there's a you know, Zen master who's you know, standing uh, over me and I'm just crying in my dream and consoling. And I'm saying, I'm so, I don't know what to do with my life. I, mean, you know, I don't know, master, what to do with my life. And he looks at me and he says to me, He says, Life is not lost by dying. Life is lost minute by minute, day by day by not really living.
1: Mm, that's good. Yeah, that's and then I woke up
0: and I took a pen at a pen and paper, which I keep at my bedside and I wrote that down. The next day I went and got my first tattoo. There you go. Yeah. And that's what it says. Life is not lost by dying. Life is lost minute by minute, day by day, by not by not really living. And the interesting thing about this is when someone asks mm. me, you know, what's your tattoo say? Yeah. It's a constant reminder of how I want to live my life.
1: Yeah. And it's something that's not going to change. And you're not going to regret it in five years because that's how you live your life today. And that's how you're going to live, live your life in five years from now. Yeah. Whereas, you know, something like the Rams were there. For <laughs> five years, right. Hell uh, no, with uh, the Rams. <laughs> I think the Rams hopefully will be around a while. But, but you know, this is something that's part of your life for, forever. Oh, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's really powerful.
0: Rarely was I ever satisfied it was like I would achieve something and it would be such a momentary feeling of happiness Then I would be off on the next thing it would be like you're at a great meal and you're eating this bite you know before you can even finish you're like you know what's next what's for dessert what's for dessert while you're still eating your dinner I was always out looking for the next big thing instead of being in the moment that I was, yeah. hmm. you know, and, and meditation and learning to find that the quiet within myself, hmm. learning to know that even in the most chaotic of times, there's always that place of calm that I can drop down into. Hmm. And it's not some mystical thing. It's a practice that you get to by working through breath, right? right? Yep. So people say, oh, no, I it's just breathing. It's you mm. know, learning to inhale fully yep. and slow down your exhales and focusing simple, hmm. simply on your breath. People want to make it too difficult. Yep. I do it all the time. I do it sometimes while you're talking to me (laughs) i just breathe in through my nose and while you're talking to me i full my fill my chest cavity my stomach cavity and i start to slow down my breath Mm. and that changes the physical and chemical reactions in your body Mm. right you you go from your sympathetic nervous system to your parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system Yep. And you start to slow your body down. You start to release the adrenaline, uh, stop the s- input of adrenaline. You know, funny thing was, after the heart attack, uh, I got a panic attack. Hmm.
1: Interesting.
0: And I was on a plane about a year after. And I heard about panic attacks, and I always thought they were for weak people. Like, I had a panic attack. He can't control this shit. <laughs> What's wrong with him? Yeah. That girl had a panic attack. Oh, God, they can't control their shit. And I was on the plane. And we were taking off, and I was just reading this magazine. We're about, I was like a three-hour flight, and I was reading a magazine about surfing. I put it down, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I feel my heart boom, 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 and I reach up, touch my forehead, and I'm sweating, and it reminded me of when I had the heart attack—very similar symptoms. And then I start to feel these, like these uh, pins and needles, go up my arm, and I think, "Oh no, I'm having a heart attack again. Hmm. I'm on the plane, but there's no chest pain." And I'm sitting there on the plane panicking and the thoughts are going through my mind like, oh my God, they're going to have to turn this plane around. They're going to have to stop it. I'm going to be that guy that's going to ruin everybody's vacation. So I stumble up. I get out of my seat. I stumble up the aisle towards the flight attendant. And I'm like, hi, um, uh, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I can't breathe. You know, I've, I've had a heart attack before. And I just feel these tingling. She said, um, I think you're having a panic attack. Do you have mm-hmm. chest pain? I said, no, 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 chest pain. She says, I think you're a panic attack. And I'm like, but I'm not even worried. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she said... So the funniest thing, she said, "Take this drink. It has a quinine or some some something in it, and you drink it, and it'll calm you down." Hmm. So I went back to my seat, and I'm like, and I drank it, and about fifteen or twenty minutes later, it was gone. Wow! And it was such a humbling human experience to have you know again big strong guy to yeah. have a panic attack because I always thought it like I said it was for people who couldn't control their shit, right? And the way I work, though, is I say, okay, I had a panic attack. I want to know everything about panic attacks. I want to know who's had panic attacks, who's overcome them. How do you overcome them? What, are, what causes them? What do you do? So I bought three books. I started reading about panic attacks. And, you know, curiosity. Mm, yep. Curiosity, to me, leads to, you know, all, all the most successful people I know are curious people, yep. right? How would you do that? Why would you do that? How would yeah. you get this result, right? You're curious. And so literally, I, started, I read a bunch of books about it. I talked to my therapist about it. And I realized that it was just a chemical reaction in the body to a what-if fear. Hmm. And the interesting thing, though, was I always thought that panic attack would have to come from nervous or worried thoughts, hmm. Oh, I'm worried about my taxes, I'm worried about this person, I'm worried about my job, I may get fired, how am I gonna pay my bills? Hmm. What, and this is kind of a deep dive, what they don't teach you is that your amygdala, the thing that senses danger in your brain, has a memory that's below our conscious mind, right? So there was a guy, I read about this, there was a guy who who had PTSD, a former veteran, I was in Vietnam and uh, he hadn't had a panic attack in like twenty-five years. He had him when he was younger after Vietnam. And he was home. And then one day he just started getting them. And he couldn't figure out why. And he went and saw his therapist, this and this. And finally, you know, they started saying, What did you change? And his wife changed the soap in the bathroom. And the soap had the same smell as the soap he did when he at the soap in Vietnam oh, okay. did. So the amygdala has its own memory Hmm. again that's below your conscious thoughts so you may not be thinking worried thoughts but it remembers Hmm. and it triggers that your fight or flight to get you to run to get you to move but when you realize that it's a chemical reaction in your body panic is then you say okay how do I get rid of panic Hmm. so when a deer runs from a cheetah It has that adrenaline, right? So it can move, it can run, and all the blood goes to the muscles so it can escape with its life. But it only does it for two minutes. Hmm. Then what does it do after that? It breathes, it sits, and it shakes Hmm. to let their adrenaline out of its body. Interesting. Yeah. So what I learned to do is when it happened, I learned to say, okay, it's a panic attack. I have a strong heart, I can handle this. Hmm. Um, This is just adrenaline going through my body. If I slow down my breathing, the breathing like I just talked about, like a box breathing. If I slow yeah. down my breathing and I train my mind to think about something, this adrenaline will pass through me, and especially if I move, it help process it. And after that, panic attack's done.
1: Well, wow. that's fascinating.
0: Where can people find you? Instagram: Dan Nitro Clark. Uh, Facebook: yep. Dan Nitro Clark. Email dan at dannitroclark.net. you can find my website there and i you know i don't have a social media manager if you're kind enough to take the time out to reach out to me normally
1: i will take the time out to respond personally that's yeah that's, that's amazing dan what message do you want to leave everyone with listening today
0: i think it's in the words we've already talked about there's no message I get the, the message would be take in information
1: yeah absolutely yeah you, you know what I
0: mean like I guess it's a, to me like I said it's all an inside game hmm. right it's my game it's a, no it's all, it's an inside game when you hmm. win the inside game you win at life and I tell my 12 year old that all the time at school you know if someone says something to you like they mean to you it doesn't mean anything hmm. it only means what you let it mean to you okay oh you look stupid Okay, I look stupid. You know, or I hate oh, your shoes, or I hate your shoes. Yeah. Okay, you hate my shoes. It doesn't mean anything to me. That's just your opinion. Yeah. You know, when you can free yourself from people's opinions of you having any weight, hmm. you take control back of your life.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? And that's a hard thing to do. Hmm. Right? Oh God, that we interview was terrible. Okay. Yeah, it's terrible. That's your opinion. Right. It doesn't affect how I feel. Yeah. Now, I'm sure. not saying we, can, we can't we can learn and grow, right? Mm-hmm. But when you can really just free yourself yeah. from the weight of public opinion and the weight of your peers, right, and just be in that space of this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. Yeah. This is the path I'm on. And thank you for that. Yeah, yeah but it's not gonna change the way I feel about me and myself and my journey. Mm -hmm. When you, just even saying that right now, it just makes me feel like I have so much freedom. Yeah. Right? Because you were always concerned about what they think. Right. You've got the gift of life. You have the privilege of being here. Do what you want Have a dream, go after that dream, quit playing small. You were meant to do great things. And listening to these words, if you hear that small voice, you know, piping up inside of you right now, that is your call to greatness. You were put here to do something big, to do something magnificent, to do something wonderful. Take this day today to start to walk tomorrow into that purpose,
1: whatever it may be.